1: Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 137 of the podcast with me, Dan Prosser, and my co host, Andrew Frankel. Uh, So, this week's episode well, it's a serious, it's a grown up one um, because we're talking about how to save Jaguar. Um, The CEO stepped down last week, and so it leaves Jaguar in a seemingly perilous position. What is the future for Jaguar? Um, We have a couple of newsy bits to get through first um, but we get stuck into Jaguar very quickly. So thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. This week we are talking about our plan to save Jaguar. We'll explain why in a moment. But Andrew the first thing we have to talk about is us because you can now give a subscription to the intercooler as a gift um, in plenty of time for Christmas which is convenient yes. timing, isn't it? <laughs> um, so, I mean, we do need to talk about this a bit because we have to give it a good push, don't we? Um, you have to head to the website, the-intercooler.com, um, and you'll find the gift page very easily from the homepage. Um, you can give a 3-, 6-, or 12-month subscription, um, so it's very cost-effective. If you give a 12-month subscription, you get a 10% discount on um, the standard price. Gift subs do not auto renew like normal subs so you know when the term is up you're not just going to get charged again for it automatically yeah that's a really important point to make it is and i think hopefully it you know settles a, a few uh, well answers a few questions but also this one gift subs are activated on the day they are redeemed by the recipient so not on the day that you buy them and they also don't expire so you can buy a 12 month sub now sit on it for 12 months and even then um, the, the recipient will get a 12-month subscription. We'll also send you a digital gift voucher right away, so it's fully automated. Um, couldn't be simpler.
2: Yeah. So I have, I have two subs. Uh, I subscribe to The Week and The Economist, um, and I absolutely love it. But more than anything else, I love giving gift subs because if the recipient wants it, um, and so it's my brother, I give him The Week every, every year. And it's just fantastic because I, it's one less, you know, we all just hate about thinking, sitting there thinking, <laughs> what are we going to get him? What are we going to get her? And every year, I don't have to think about it. It's literally, I don't, I don't even have to do anything. It's just such a, I'm being really selfish here, but just, it just makes one of the many, many problems of Christmas go away. Uh, and if you like what we do and we hope that you do and you think that there are, you know, you've got like-minded friends or family, then um, it's just a really, really easy thing to do. And if they like it, then it makes one particular problem go away for, you know as long as they want it to
1: so yeah, yeah. have a look so the dot um and it's important to say that uh, if you give a gift sub the recipient can use the school app and the website um there's n- no limitation on that apart from the duration of the subscription and also they, they will have full access to our entire library which is growing by the day it's a thousand stories a million words all there all there ready waiting to be read um i mean you don't get that with a Traditional magazine subscription? Do you? You just get the the, the physical copies that are sent to you. Um, so there's a good benefit there. Um, so there you go. You know, if you've got if there's another petrol head in your life who you think would enjoy a subscription to the Intercooler, you can now give it as a gift. The dash intercooler uh, And
2: so one final thing. The, the, the other thing I would say is that the vast majority of the stories that sit in our library, um, as you say, those you know more than a thousand stories, more than a million words, um, they're they're all timeless um they're not you know date stamped and therefore irrelevant the moment they've been published or a week later like you know so much stuff that you get in uh, in the magazines it's you know it's tests of current stuff and you know and they go they go out of date um whereas the vast majority of what we publish is genuinely timeless so the stories are as new and as fresh and as interesting now as the day that we originally published them on the app so it really is i, th- I genuinely think that is a um a fantastic benefit um but you know this already if you um if you already subscribed to us,
1: um, okay. There you go, gift subs. Um, let's move on a little bit. There's a couple of newsy bits that we need to get through because yesterday was the final round of the 2022 Formula One season. Um, what a cracking I mean, season that was! <laughs> it started off with promise, though, didn't it? I mean,
2: yeah,
1: Ferrari back well, in the hunt. It seemed um, they looked like the Red Bull was fragile. Yeah, and then of course they got their act together and just steamrolled everyone, didn't they? Yeah. Certainly mastered. Yeah,
2: yeah and so we're not we're not really going to spend any time at all doing an autopsy on this year because you know we all know what happened and it, it it was frankly a pretty dull season uh what are your okay i think we all know what people's hopes for next year are which is that we have a more competitive disease what do
1: you think is going to happen well i think mercedes will i, I think they understood the new regulations i think they figured them out um you know we we it's not as though they got the w13 this year's car to a place where it was consistently challenging but it won a race um and I think they, I think Mercedes know the mistake that they made with the basic design of that car. And so I think they put that right with the new car over winter. Um, I think probably they have a more competitive car. Now, they might be on the dev- developmental curve a bit further behind Red Bull than perhaps Ferrari. But I think next year they become competitive more often. Because yeah, I... we can't write off Mercedes, can we? <laughs>
2: no we you know? can't and, and you're you're absolutely right. i mean toto wolf was saying they knew from round one that they had a problem and it wasn't you know i mean they had the bouncing um and the paupers and all that sort of stuff which you know they found a way of engineering out um but the fundamental design of the car was wrong and they couldn't change that um and yet you know as mercedes always does it got more and more competitive throughout the season. I mean, you'd never have thought that that thing that they had in the early rounds was ever going to win a race, and yet it did. And, you know, George won that race entirely on merit. Um, and so, you know, and, and, and also, you know, the other thing is, is, you know, they knew from the start that there was no way they're going to win the Drivers' World Championship. There was no way they're going to win the Constructors' so They they would have started work on the 2023 car very early and i know that they they certainly said that for the last few races they just brought the same car they didn't change anything at all so they will have been hard at work i also suspect that they really 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 don't like losing um particularly to red bull uh, particularly with all this stuff that's been going on with the budget cap and, and, and everything else so they will um they will be back you know absolutely hard as nails and as hungry as there's ever been to put one over red bull next year what's going to happen with ferrari do you think bonotto going to stay all these stories aren't there that his time's up and you know they they squandered again another championship winning opportunity it seems it seems that at the, at, at the start of the season they were right in it and by the end of it
1: uh, you know, frankly, they only just held off Mercedes for third in the constructors. But they won a handful of races. <clears throat> they were more competitive than they've been in, for a long time. So if they're on an upward trajectory, surely just a little bit of stability now is what's needed. And th- I don't know, there's a ruthlessness about Ferrari, particularly when it comes to team principles. Um, if, you, if you're if you judged to have squandered an opportunity, you seem to be out. Um, Ferrari have denied that... Um, Binotto's position is in jeopardy, but that always happens, that makes me worry for him even more. Yeah, yeah, um, that always
2: happens. Yeah, <laughs> that has, has, has my full confidence. Bang! Yeah, um, off you go. And yeah, I mean, I, I hear exactly what you say, but when you make that many mistakes, that doesn't strike me as being, you know, one individual messing up uh or a bit of bad luck or a combination of the two that strikes me as being some something that is fundamentally wrong in the organization of the of the business and it's just not or, or the organization of or the team and things are just not you remember that that quality where was it the last race the last race but one where they sent child out on Inters when everybody else was on slicks yeah you so
1: know, what's going we, on
2: there yeah you know, what is going on i mean who thought i mean someone thought that was a good idea um and you know, I feel really sorry, particularly for for Charles, because, you know, I think, I think he could have... Been, and also, the other thing was that if they maintained that momentum up until, I don't know, halfway through the season, and they were still in a, you know, that would have inspired them to push on and on and on. And But you know, the moment you get to the stage where actually you realise, oh, you know, Max and Red Bull, they've gone. We're never going to get that back. Um, you know, heads go down and, you know, more mistakes get made and... You know, I just want to compare to see, you know, what we hope, obviously, next year is that Red Bull and Mercedes and Ferrari are at each other's throats from start to finish. I think there's a chance that will happen. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I think Mercedes will come steaming back. Um, I think, actually, Red Bull are going to have, I mean, so much harder a time next year than they've had this year. I don't think, I don't see that we're going into, you know, you know those periods like a, the Ferrari had at the beginning of the century or Mercedes had just come out of where you get one team which dominates for seasons I, for some reason i don't sense that happening with red bull um you know they nipped it last year they did very very well this year um i think it's going to be tough for them again next year and i really hope so but to me the great unknown is is ferrari um whether they can sort themselves out i really really hope they can
1: and uh, yeah you make a good point point about red bull because actually their competitors have done a bad job this year yes mercedes that yes. was a pig of a car they got it to some degree of competitiveness but it was a pig of a car and ferrari just dropped the ball so many times so then yes. the competition it was so poor it flattered red bull
2: yeah mercedes and ferrari were the opposite of each other you know one team had you know ran a good car really poorly and the mm. other one ran a bad car really well mm. but when you've got another team
1: out there which runs a good car really, really well, well you get what you get don't you you get 17 wins and actually, the other point about Ferrari this season and why Benotto's position might be in danger is that <laughs> for the first time in almost a decade, the Mercedes wasn't there. And guess what? Next year, it probably is. So if that was Ferrari's opportunity to nick a championship while Mercedes Absolutely. was weak, it's gone Absolutely. begging, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, mm. yeah, you're right. It wasn't a classic season, particularly after the 2021. Um, but let's just hope that we've got three teams at the front fighting um for wins in the championship every other weekend. Um and maybe you know it'd be great to see McLaren. A bit more competitive at times. Maybe w- wouldn't it? some of the midfield moving forward. Um
2: Yeah. Al- Alonso and an Aston Martin.
1: Yeah, what's gonna happen there? Oh, there are gonna be sparks out there. I just you know <laughs> <laughs> There are gonna be sparks. It's gonna be it's any- always wherever he is, it's always gonna be interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll yeah. be dramatic. We know that. Um okay, well you Let's leave Formula 1 behind. One more thing that I want to talk about before we get on to Jaguar Land Rover is Porsche. You were in L.A. last week at the L.A. Auto Show um, I was. with Porsche, mostly to look at the 911 Dakar. It's, su- it's a curious car, um, and we're seeing more of these things. We know Lamborghini are going to bring out a, a sort of lifted, slightly rally-style um, yeah. Huracan. Others yeah. have, have looked at it what do you make of this new breed of car before we get onto the 911 Dakar specifically?
2: Um,
1: what do I make of it?
2: Uh, I, I think if it's... I mean, it's... Well, on the one hand, it's a bit of fun. I like it when different stuff happens. You know, this yeah. is a kind of car that we haven't seen before. Mm. Um, you know, do I really think that people are going to be driving their Dakar 911s? You know, across the sand at 107. No, I don't think they are. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's clearly not going to happen. It's clearly going to be, um you know, a sort of look at me thing. Um, I don't think. But you know, God, goodness knows. You know, how many cars, you know, like that uh, or very high performance cars ever get driven in the way they're designed to be driven? That's not what happens, is it? It's all about projection of the image. It's it, it's not about i'm going to do this with this car it's that if i chose to do that with this car it could do it Uh, and and it's about people it's about so you know if you think about one of the great appeals of suvs in terms of the images it makes you look sort of sporting and adventurous and outdoorsy and obviously one of the great uh appeals of a sports car is that it makes you look like a sort of sporting go getting high performance kind of person so you combine the two and, and you know <laughs> you know the, the sort yeah. of the logic behind it isn't difficult to see um mm-hmm. you know they're not it's not a very sort of serious thing um and you know i completely understand why uh porsche have, deliv- have decided to limit it to two and a half thousand units but from porsche's point of view it's not going to be a very expensive program to do um Will they sell the cars? You know, it costs... I think it costs like £3,000 less than a GT3 RS. It's a very, very expensive car. Will they sell them? I, I'd i be surprised if they haven't already. Of course yeah. they'll sell them. Yeah, um, so so from Porsche's point of view, why wouldn't you? It's a great... Um, it's a great image builder for them. It shows them being adventurous and interesting and different. They've got the heritage. Um, you know, because they well actually technically it wasn't a 911 was it it was a 953 but the 911 base Porsche 953 won Dakar in 1984 um and you know and, and they've done that um that sort of quasi Rothman's livery which you can get for another 18,000 pounds or whatever it is and I'm sure that everybody will having on will have that on their car and it's it's one of those I think it's we could do this so Let's do it. I um, mean, from Porsche's point of view, why wouldn't you? Um, you know, I can't see it doing the brand any harm. They'll sell the cars. They'll make a stack of money out of it. And I can't wait to drive one. Uh, I just want to go... I mean, what I do find very interesting is it's got this um, this lift system on it. And I was talking to uh, Frank-Stefan valliser, who now is the bloke who is in charge of all Porsche development. He is in charge of the way Porsches drive these days. But But, you know, until I think about two months ago, he was the person who was in charge of all Porsche sports cars. So he was Mr. 911, Boxster and, and Cayman. And I was talking to him about the lift system and why lifts have to sort of come back down again at 20, 30 miles an hour normally in cars that have... And he said, well, because it's, it's an aerodynamic thing because you're only lifting the front of the car. Um, and so you put a lot of um, adverse rake into the car. And if you go too fast with that, um, the car becomes aerodynamically unstable. If you do it at both ends, the rake of the car is unaffected. So you can go really fast and so this thing well, it, it's it's not only got um 80 millimeters of ground clearance you can do 107 miles an hour with it fully extended across whatever terrain you want to go across uh, and it's got these it's got this, this this sort of you know it's got off-road launch control and it, it's got a rally mode it's got an off-road mode it's, it's got all sorts of you know and it's fully armoured underside and you know, all this sort of stuff. So yeah. I mean, as I say, it's not a car that anyone's gonna take particularly seriously, but I'm
1: really, really looking forward to driving. It. I hope that I do. It's it's gonna be a lot of fun. And I like the idea for two reasons. The first is that it comes with knobbly tires and a taller ride height. So even on the road, just driving on a normal highway, it's gonna feel very different to any other nine eleven. It's gonna be probably moving around a bit more and it's gonna roll and lean a bit more on corners. So it might be that it's fun, um to drive in a way that you know where most 911s are actually just locked down flat yep. stable yep. grippy so even on the yep. road there might be an advantage but you can I get
2: love... a st- you can... sorry oh. you can get i should say you can just get a standard p0 on it as well okay, fine. Uh, yeah. if, if you want that yeah but 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 but, but the, why wouldn't you have it on your scorpions you, you, yeah, you with, would. With, the, with the the chunkies
1: A knobbly tire yeah and yeah. then but the idea of clipping along a gravel track or some dry lake bed or something I mean, it's the car sliding around beneath you, feeling like a rally driver. It's brilliantly evocative and exciting, and it sounds like the most fun in the world. How many people are going to rattle their two hundred thousand pound Porsche once you've got the Rothmans liver in? If you're the best, oh, some will, but you know they'll be bazillionaires, (laughs) won't they? You just
2: don't care. But but if you're the sort of person who you know is thinking about, oh, you know taking a really really deep breath and you're thinking right well I'll, you know maybe i'm going to buy i don't know uh, an mc20 or an archer or some other you know recreational toy and then suddenly this thing pops up and you know you bought a few portions of the past and your dealer's giving you a nod and a wink and you think you can get well there's no way you're going to be doing that to your near to well it probably will be two hundred thousand pounds once yeah. you put once you've ticked a few boxes no but it doesn't matter
1: <laughs> you know that you could if you wanted to and that's what it's all about um and okay so some people will use their cars that way the thing is here in the UK at least if you want to go and drive along some gravel track you probably have to hire a a rally venue we don't have gravel tracks really but in parts of mainland Europe um, in California huge parts of the US there are places where you can go and tool around Um, so it might be that in other other markets there's sort of you know, there's more fun to be had in a car like this. But uh, the the fact is, I love the idea of these sort of lifted, safari-style sports cars. I've just never driven one. So I'd, I'd love to have a go in one and figure out if the fun, you know, if the reality matches the expectation. Mm. Maybe soon. We'll find, well, hopefully we'll find out. Okay. All right. So we're actually talking about Jaguar Land Rover this week. Because last week, Thierry Bellore, the CEO, stepped down after only a couple of years yeah. um, at the helm. Um, I mean it came as a surprise to us but I I, I think there are some people within the industry who weren't so surprised Um, and he cited personal reasons we don't know what they are no but I mean that that, that sort of covers
2: that's the sort of all purpose catch all phrase isn't you know you you can
1: conceal any number of reasons that that could be almost anything couldn't it Mm, it could it could so we don't know we don't know what the reason was Um, We don't know if he was jumping before getting pushed. You know, um, maybe we never will know, but he's gone or he's going. Um, And so we now wonder what state JLR is in. JLR needs a new CEO. Um, And of course, it's difficult to talk about JLR because it's not really JLR, is it? It's J and LR because certainly the financial positions of the two companies, the two brands, they're just, it's chalk and cheese. And so this leaves, leaves us wondering exactly what Jaguar's future is going to look like and perhaps leaves Jaguar in need of a revival plan.
2: Well, I mean, does it? I mean, I, I, I think what would really help um, in trying to figure out where Jaguar should go is trying to figure out why Bellore has gone you know, he was the man um, who came up with this reimagined plan that's going to relaunch Jaguar as a premium EV manufacturer in 2025. Um, and by premium, we think that means, you know, entry points to the range beginning with six figures. Um, and, you know, that's punchy. That is re- for reasons that we will get on to. Um, now, you know, we here, because we are you know reasonably well connected um and we know people in the industry you know i have heard so many reasons um for his going you know, what i've heard that there were per- very profound personal differences with other people at jaguar i have heard that he lost the confidence of the Tata board um who ultimately owned jaguar um i have heard that he was um that the suppliers were being asked to come up with, uh, you know, make huge investments um, for this, that and the other to support the Jaguar plan when they didn't have any confidence that it was going to um, come off the way that it was envisaged. There are, there are all sorts of reasons. And I suspect, actually, it's probably not one particular thing. I suspect that what has happened is that, you know, he has suddenly realized that he came there to do a job um, and that he's not going to be able to for who knows how many different reasons and so he's off uh, and the problem is i think it took them six months to find him and you know well i mean on the one hand you know as we know you know the Range Rover, bit of land rover and and i guess defender as well um is highly successful um but on the other hand um the land rover brand has been you know not looked after the same way that that Range Rover has and Jaguar is a basket case um it really is and if the man with the plan has gone where does that leave it I mean it really really worries me because you know I think we're going to sort of say the unsayable here um about the future of Jaguar because I think that there are two ways to approach it on one hand you think well Jaguar is this wonderful British mark and some of the finest cars that have ever been produced by anyone anywhere in the world have been Jaguars. You know, We think about you know XK120s and Mark IIs and E-Types and XJs and all these sorts of things. Um, and then you think, well, actually, all that was a very, very long time ago. It really um, was. You know, yeah. The most recent of those cars I've just named, the original XJ, I think came out in 1968, which is, what, 54 years ago? It's over half a century ago. Um, and Jaguar has been you know, has frankly been, you know, a problem child for many, many years and for all sorts of reasons. And, and so the question is, the fundamental question is, is that A, can the brand survive? And B, can it survive by reinventing itself as this, you know, super expensive rival, frankly, to Bentley and Aston Martin? And it's a hell of a leap, isn't it?
1: It's a hell of a leap and we, maybe we'll answer that question um, a little bit later on. So <clears throat> why are we talking about Jaguar rather than Jaguar and Land Rover? It's, well, you've, you've mentioned it because Land Rover is in very good shape, um, particularly because of the Range Rover brand. Um, and just to illustrate that point, the new Range Rover and the Range Rover Sport, um, which are proving very popular inevitably, if they're on sale for 10 years, which could well happen, there is a chance that they will generate £100 billion in revenue. Um, and so uh, you can see can't you how, how Land Rover certainly could flourish could thrive over the next decade or so with all that revenue coming in and that's ignoring the Defender which will drive an awful lot itself so Land Rover is in a very, very different position to Jaguar. Um, and it's, the fact is, Jaguar has been living like a remora fish off the Land Rover shark for as long as they've been attached about 15 years. Um, and without that, would Jaguar have survived as long as it has done? It, it's, it's a debatable point. Um, I don't and, think it is a
2: debatable point. I don't oh, think it's okay, debatable it's at all. A, I, I, no, no, it wouldn't have done. So what has, been, what has gone wrong with jaguar because actually if you look at the products that it has now when they were new um you know there there were some you know the xf was a good car when it came out the f pace was a good car when it came out the ipace was an outstanding car um when it came out you know it, it has had some you know the f type when it came out was a great car but what is absolutely staggering is that for four years, Jaguar has not launched a new car, and so you know they have these wonderful designs, these callum cars, which look fantastic they 've actually they 're actually pretty well engineered and yet all these cars they 've just always struggled to sell so what is yeah. it what is well, what has so been the problem with jaguar
1: so the big gamble a few years ago was to get stuck in To the volume game in a big way to really try and rival the likes of mercedes bmw audi the the trouble is it never got to a point where it was properly competing with those marks on volumes and so when you don't have the same volumes you can't drive down prices with suppliers you cannot amortize r d costs across several different models Um, and that leaves jaguar selling cars at the same price as mercedes audi bmw um but without the same investment in it and so how are you going to make a better car than the germans when you have fewer resources and so how are you going to create a car that gives a buyer a reason to choose yours over the established german rivals how's that ever going to happen
2: so so two points. one is the point is, is about buying a better car. It has to be a better car. Making a car as good as a BMW 3 Series doesn't provide somebody who owns a BMW 3 Series with a reason to buy your car. Because it's, you know, why would you if it's only as good? It has to be better. And the thought that Jaguar, with the resources that were available to it, could make a car that was better than a BMW 3 Series, than the best compact, you know, saloon's car estate that, you know, frankly, there's ever been, is it is hoping really quite a bit but the staggering thing is the XE wasn't the first time they'd done this there was the X type before that um which you know if they hadn't uh, learnt the lesson from that which was exactly the same thing the X type okay it it looked a bit odd to be frank um but it was you know and it had a it had mondeo underpinnings but it wasn't a terrible car but it wasn't as good as a BMW and it was doomed and the thing about Jaguar, you think back to that list of cars I came up with just now—the XK120, the Mark II, the the Type, and the XJ—and uh, actually, I include the Ipace in this. Jaguar always has been at its absolute best when it leads, and when it—and not when it follows. Because if it tries to follow the big guys, it will never have the same amount of money um, to invest in R and D uh, or or in marketing um and so the chances of actually doing that the, the same job better are infinitesimally small so what it needs to do is to do something else and, and maybe that's what's behind this reinvention plan we'll have to wait and see but you know if jaguar is destined to follow jaguar is doomed in my view because i just don't see them ever having the wherewithal to do what the others do better um than they do it so where is the incentive to go and buy a car that's not quite as good as a 3 Series, not quite as good as a 5 Series? There just isn't one. I mean, you, you are left with the sort of the iconoclasts, aren't you? The people who are yeah. just sort of contrarian by nature. Um, and, you know, they might buy Jaguars. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, who will buy a Jaguar, not because they want a Jaguar, but because they don't want a German premium saloon, because everybody drives German premium saloons, and that's boring. Well, that's not very many people. There's not a business in that. Not at those sorts of levels. You can't be a car maker like that selling you know if, if you 're in the three series market selling you know a couple hundred thousand cars a year you just can't do it there you know the the margins aren't there the returns aren't there
1: um,
2: and you 'll never get enough to invest in the next generation so it it's it's a flawed
1: prospectus to put it mildly I'm glad you mentioned ipace just now because <clears throat> it does demonstrate that jaguar. Its days of innovation and leading weren't fifty, seventy years ago. It has done it more recently, um, and the iPACE was a brilliant car, and i is a brilliant car. It might probably it was very expensive to do. Probably it didn't make money, but Jaguar does have to be at the forefront, doesn't it? Because yeah, but but, but so you know, they they make the iPACE in you know,
2: twenty eighteen suddenly. Yeah, I can remember driving it and, you know, testing it against, I think, a Model S, something like that, and just thinking, this is just so much better. You know, Jaguar had the best car of its kind in the world, and that kind being the kind of car that all cars in the future were going to be. And what did they do with that? Nothing. You know, they invested in a brand new platform. They paid somebody else to build it for them. Um And you think, well, okay, so there'll be a long wheelbase one and there'll be a short wheelbase one and they'll have four different body configurations and they will spin an entire generation of new Jaguars off this fantastic uh, new product with the head start that they have brilliantly created for themselves. They did nothing. They did nothing. They totally squandered it. Brilliantly started. Brilliantly engineered. Beautifully built um, by Magna in Austria who who built it. I mean, just... Oh, honestly, I, I get upset by it. It, 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 and, and, and it, and it, and it angers me, because who thought that was a good idea? Who yeah.
1: thought that... And, and Yeah, you're right, it's not as though it was unsure if EV was the way to go. We knew, no, we knew we it was. we knew, we all knew. Um, but this is uh, Thierry Bellore, one of the first things he did was c- can the J-Pace, which I think was a um, another a big electric SUV. Yeah. yeah, and the And, and the, the XJ. electric XJ
2: yeah yeah there will be some people there will be some people um who think who, who'll be glad that he's gone yeah. for yeah. exactly those because reasons that, that you know yeah. jaguar and my understanding is that certainly the xj and i think probably the j pace my understanding is that they were both pretty close to you know oven ready um and i mean what now what did it cost to can those programs so i mean it's oh, okay <laughs> so
1: okay so we know that it's got to be electric we know that the volume game hasn't worked. They tried it with X-Type, tried it with XE, tried it with F-Pace. The volume game hasn't worked for them. Yeah. So does that mean that moving up market is the right thing to do?
2: Well, I mean, this is this is where the problem lies. Um, you can move brands up market. Um, I can remember, I don't know what it would have been, maybe 10 years ago, a dozen years ago, uh, having a very serious conversation with a very senior person um, at JLR, and he was explained to me how nervous they were about the possibility of putting a Range Rover on sale for a six figure sum. They just didn't think, or they were very worried, that the Range Rover brand wouldn't command uh, sufficient respect that it could break through that barrier. Today, the cheapest Range Rover you can buy is, I think, £99,375. Okay, so in that period of time, they have moved the entire Range Rover. I'm not talking about Range Rover sports, but the entire Range Rover model line has shifted up. So that a six figure sum is now the least you can spend on one of those. But you can do that if you're in the game and through constantly releasing excellent cars and gently pushing and pushing and pushing. um, You can nudge it up and then you get what's happened with Range Rover. Jaguar you know, what is the average price of a Jaguar? I mean, you pay early 30s for a base XE um, going up to, I don't know, 60, 70 for, you know, an F-Pace or something like that. And then suddenly you're expecting people to spend £100,000 on one. It's a leap. Mm, It's a really, really big leap. And you're saying to people, you know, and rightly or wrongly, and it's another conversation, but people who really care about the badge on the front of their car, don't have an Aston Martin, don't have a Bentley, don't even have a really, really top of the range Porsche. Have a Jaguar.
1: And okay. It's so asking
2: does, a lot, isn't it?
1: So does Jaguar have the brand equity to charge only that price point? And we have to be utterly ruthless in our assessment here because We think of Jaguars quite romantically and we think about the heritage and we think about the racing successes, particularly in the 50s and at Le Mans later on as well in the 80s. Um, And we therefore assume that Jaguar is a strong brand, an aspirational brand. But is it really? Are there people out there who aspire to own a Jaguar or have those days just gone?
2: I think there are people out there who would love to own a Jaguar. I really do. I think Jaguar is one of those brands, I think it's like Lotus, I think it's like Alfa Romeo, um, where if you give them the right car, they will come, they will buy it. The question is, what is that car? And I fear, and my really, really big fear for Jaguar is that that car is a £50,000, middle of the range, executive, fast, beautiful um, fine handling whatever you want it to be saloon suv estate whatever um, but we know that that's not possible because you know that market is so saturated um, with existing fine cars from much 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 better resourced brands and as per our previous conversation um jaguar tried to play that game and it hasn't worked so what is left is to try and do something different, which is an approach that I applaud. But it is, you know, but, but, but it is it is so risky because what is left is going, well, OK, we can't we recognize that we can't follow the main bunch. And so we have to go somewhere else. And where else can we go where there is margin and therefore possibly profit? because without margin there is no profit. Well, we have to charge a lot of money for it. And so the question is, we come back to that question as whether people will choose to spend 100,000 pounds on a Jaguar. Now maybe we got we got this completely wrong because Jaguar are being, you know, they're not saying anything about this plan, are they? I mean, you know, I, I you know, I say 100,000 pounds, that's a number that, you know, uh, I understand to be, right? I might be wrong. It may be that they're thinking about 70,000 pounds and you know maybe that's a different conversation. I don't know. But I just find it really, really hard. I find it, you know, that there is going to be the the will now to back Jaguar to spend that amount of money to relaunch a brand that basically, although yes, of course, there are still endless Jaguars you can go out and buy. There's an XE, there's an XF, there's an E-Pace, there's an F-Pace, there's an F-Type, there's an I-Pace. They're all still on sale. But none of them have received anything more than the most uh, minor you know, model year updates for years. And so are you really just in the hope that there are people out there who love Jaguar so much they're going to spend an amount of money on one that they've never thought about spending before um, because it's a Jaguar? And if you don't think that what's the alternative the alternative um and i I
1: absolutely hate to say it but the alternative is no jaguar Uh, and is that okay that's a very good point because why is it incumbent on tata or jlr to save jaguar they won't do it for sentimental reasons because they feel it's the right thing to do they will only try if they think they can turn it into a profitable business
2: yeah and and we know, don't we, that just because a you know, brand's been around for a long time, that doesn't guarantee its future. Look at Saab, you know, look at Rover, look at, you know, there's no shortage of, you know, of brands which you just think, well, of course they're going to continue because, you know, they've always been there, they always, always will be there. There are no guarantees in this business, particularly not now, with the world heading into global recession. You know, the chip crisis still being a very real thing. You know, in the most unstable, uncertain um, frankly, pretty bloody depressing times of the recent part, you know, in recent history. And you've got this thing, which has, I mean, who knows? I mean, there, there, there's a thing I read that 20 years that fall and Jaguar, it never once turned a profit. And suddenly, with everything else and the fact that you've run the brand into the ground, you've completely neglected it for the last goodness knows how many years, uh, you're really going to turn around and spend however many billions is required to completely relaunch it and i mean what? okay yeah, ultimate question what would you do
1: you know uh, okay well is i'll turn that around on you is the right thing therefore for jlr to do should they just lop the j off the front of their name and just be land rover
2: it's kind of thinking the unthinkable isn't it you know i really 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 no, the, the right thing to do no, the best thing to do, there's a difference, <laughs> is to find a way for Jaguar to work, obviously. That's what yeah. everybody wants. Um yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but and 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 you know, and, and the question of you know, people I I probably us included spend so much time, you know, thinking about how Jaguar got to this point, it doesn't matter. It's where it is. You know, you play the hand you've got, not the one you wish you'd been dealt. Um and Jaguar is where it is now. Um and It's hard. It's hard to see. But then again, you just have to hope that there are people out there who are more committed, more intelligent, and know more about the the nature of the resources that are available, um, who can see a future for it. Um, And I'm just, I, I, I fear for it i really do more you know and i've been worried about jaguar for you know when i first came into this business in 1988 you know jaguar was in one of those sort of rare moments of independence and we were all just sitting there saying please just get bought please just get bought um and you know then ford came along and we all breathed a huge sigh of relief um but then Ford started launching cars like the X Type and the S Type, and you know, and things got tough again. And then Tata came along, and there was this brilliant new product came out under the you know under the Indian management, um, and we all got very excited again. And now we're in one of those troughs. And who knows? what, I mean, usually what happens when these sorts of things happen to Jaguar is it just gets sold, and maybe that's what's best. Maybe there will be somebody out there um, who are prepared to put in the billions, and let's not be shy about the numbers, the billions that are required to get jaguar back on the footing because if you could do it if you could create the right sort of car and you put a jaguar badge on it and sell it at the right sort of price people would buy it it's not like the brand is toxic at all i don't think it is i really don't think that it is i think it is a brand that people feel instinctively well disposed towards and that as i said earlier um if you gave them the right car they would buy it but it's Never, really, really difficult to see how that
1: can happen. nevertheless imagine the the company that you could make by getting rid of jaguar only building range rovers and their derivatives all the way down to the evoke and the defender if you only build defenders and range rover badged cars you would have an enormously profitable company that would tick along extremely nicely there'd be no leeches sucking you dry and so given that these are commercial entities why wouldn't tata say just do that just make money just do that we don't need to try to revive this brand a multi-billion pound risk yeah i mean i mean the problem is
2: is you know if you are a gimlet eyed titanium nosed businessman looking at this that's what you do and you forget about the job losses and the factory closes and the human beings and the human cost of all of this um, and you know and that's why i you know that's why I would be so terrible at those things because I would make subjective emotional sh- terrible decisions which would actually end up um causing far more harm because ultimately you know anything that i was in charge of would go to the wall instead of you know a a small number of people losing their jobs everybody would um because i just couldn't bear to be responsible for that but you know sometimes you do need you know you do need the sort of the carlos gones and the tavares you know the the real real hard-nosed people who will come in and go this is necessary, and it's very sad. But if this company is to survive, this is what needs to happen. And, you know, who knows if we're getting to that point with JLR. Um, but, you know, I would be more shocked than surprised if, you know, oh, I don't think about it. I really don't. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard because, you know, 2025. But, you know, the, the other thing which worries me is that you know we are right at the end of 2022 as we're recording this you'd think we'd be hearing more unless it's going to be the most fantastic rabbit out of a hat moment if these cars are really you know given that the only cars that we know about the j pace um and the electric xj um are officially you know in the bin um maybe someone will dig them out of the bin who knows um you would think with all the tittle tattle and gossip um, and you, you, you and I know so much more about what goes on than we can ever own up to. Um, you would have thought that would be people talking about, oh yeah, we got this thing. And it's, you know, and, and yeah, and, and, and the point is, is that if these cars are going into production in 2025, they're signed off now. Their designs are signed off now. They have to be because these things tend to take between five and seven years to do. And there are mules out there and there's endurance system, there's durability there and you can't keep that all secret so there is start you know if th- this big 2025 yee-haw moment is coming then it is very advanced right here right now and yet we hear nothing maybe they they maybe they are just so on top of things that they are the, you know the the world's biggest rabbit's got to come out of the world's biggest hat uh, and and i really really hope so
1: okay I, I i put it i think it's almost a mixed blessing that jaguar is partnered, attached to Land Rover because, okay, Land Rover has kept Jaguar alive all these years, that's clear. However, opportunities for platform sharing between the two are severely limited because Land Rover builds high-riding 4x4s, off-roaders. Jaguars are not really that. You know, think about how happily Bentley sits alongside the VW group with Porsche. You can build big four-door saloons um, on the same platform as the Panamera. You can build... Um, an SUV on the same platform as the K, and that really works. The synergies there are clear. The synergies between a traditional Jaguar and a traditional Land Rover are almost none, maybe powertrains. But is the solution there then that Jaguar needs to become an SUV mark? And it builds. But well, it's
2: tried, hasn't it?
1: And, but yeah, and but I... does it become purely that? Purely that? Spinning off Land Rover platforms, rebodying them, and then maybe, just maybe, we also know that those are the cars that buyers want. And just maybe you generate enough revenue there that you can build a single bespoke, purpose-built sports car to keep that car. aspect of a car to keep that aspect of Jaguar mm. alive. Mm. Well, I
2: mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Um, because obviously, we, there's been an element of that. We've had you know the F pace and the E pace, yeah. Um, yeah. which are you know on shared platforms with jlr i mean the f-pace when it came out in 2015 seven years old that car it was out it was for that kind of car it's absolutely outstanding a really really good car e-pace was terrible if i'm honest with you um because you know and and so and so if you like there's sort of the yin and the yang of it isn't it then yeah that's an example one example where the platform sharing worked really well another one where it didn't work at all um you know to do that i guess you know you have to really invest in the suv thing and think that that's going to hang around forever i still don't think that it will because i think ultimately you know high heavy you know profligate cars are simply not the way the world is going to go ultimately i think the suv the this adoration with suvs will end then again i have been saying this for over 30 years so you know pfft, who knows when um but yes i think i think if you were trying to create some kind of future for for jaguar um i don't really see any alternative because that is at least an affordable way of doing it um and it it, it had worked for the f pace i mean the f case the f pace um sold better than any other jaguar uh, certainly relative to expectations and was a good car so it can be done but it needs to be done well and with conviction because otherwise what you get is the e-pace um which you know just didn't do it well certainly not for me at, at, at any level so oh i don't know dan it's um i i you know i'm not sure i've ever worried for jaguar more than i have right now uh, and you know and even if you know Tata just said okay enough we don't know what to do with this we're going to put it up for sale <sighs> whose portfolio so who it fit buys into? yeah you yeah. know, we, we, we think about uh, you know we think about other brands like Aston Martin and McLaren, which are not you know wholly owned by big OEMs. And you and I can both sit here and think about how they may fit very nicely into you know mclaren for instance uh, if the rumors were tr- are true that bmw is pretty interested you could see how that would sit very well with mini and with bmw and with rolls royce you know it's a high performance brand very nice you know fits the portfolio very well it's harder to see with jaguar isn't it mm. yeah i
1: think it is i think it is without it duplicating something they've already yeah. got yeah there'd be lots of overlap um it's a tough one and you know i think we've asked some fairly punchy questions in this episode but clearly both, of us, answered, yeah, clearly both of us want jaguar to thrive of and flourish everybody does um and so that is what we're hoping for but we're realistic and it, it just looks extremely difficult at the moment um but who knows maybe there is a plan um and we'll hear about it soon and we'll suddenly feel a whole lot better i i, I think they've got one roll of the dice if i'm absolutely let's let's
2: just be frank about this i think they've got one roll of the dice They need to recruit someone. They need to recruit a visionary. They need to go to someone and go, here is a career-making opportunity for you. And just someone who can command the loyalty and respect of everyone below him or her within the organisation and everyone above him or her um, at Tata. Someone who can gain the backing uh, and just go, right, guys, we're going to go for it. And if that doesn't happen i can't see a future for it
1: yeah critical months critical few months so let's keep our ears to the ground and see what happens um okay listener question coming up then um you've not been briefed on this one but you'll i think you'll knock this one out without too much thought um but before i do that remember that you can now give a subscription to the intercooler as a gift in plenty of time for christmas three six or twelve month subs um um head to the dot intercooler.com there's a page on the homepage called gifts and you can find out everything you need to know about them um so the listener question comes from matt turner and he says what tech do you both actually want in a new car it's a good question because cars comes, come cars these days come dripping with tech that lots of us simply don't want so he says what do you actually want for him it's keyless entry carplay radar cruise he'd have okay. every other th- everything else can go
2: okay bum warmers
1: (laughs) (laughs) bum warmers yeah Um, Uh, i
2: I, want i want sorry head up display yeah i like a head up display decent digital radio reception um i listen to the radio everywhere everywhere i go and i hate it when um it's because i live out in the boonies and it's cutting in and out Um, more than anything else you know what i just crave is an hmi a human machine interface that works um you know there are so many of them like the I, i've got a i've got a volkswagen id buzz outside the big electric van it's brilliant apart from that and the and, and the infotainment system on it just drives me up the wall it is so unintuitive all the gizmos and gadgets that cars come with these days i, I basically never use. the only one that's really worked for me um i had an s-class in which had the mercedes me app um which was really really useful because i mean well it was never more useful than when someone drove into it when it was parked in a car park and i was upstairs in a hotel at the time and the app told me it told me that the car had been driven into it told me where the damage was and it told me that the damage wasn't serious um and you know you know so i was probably at the car two minutes after it had been driven into now i wasn't able to this occasion but it, yeah I, I could possibly been there too it could have made the difference between you know finding out who did it and not so that was really useful um but you know we, we are going into an era aren't we where you know design is becoming increasingly important um and you know things will fill up with gizmos and gadgets because car makers faced with electric cars which are all powered by the same things are desperately trying to create differentiation and so there's so much stuff almost all of which is of no interest to me at all i just want a car to work that's it yeah agreed
1: agreed okay well there you go thank you for your question get your questions across um and we'll end next week's podcast with another thanks all